Well, if you have your Bibles with you today, uh, I want to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. Uh, last week, we began a brand new sermon series that's going to take us through the majority of the summer, uh, looking at some of the parables of Jesus. Uh, and for those of you who, who might be newer to the scriptures, uh, parables are short, meaning-filled word pictures. They are stories that illuminate uh, profound spiritual truths. Or an easy way to think about parables uh, is that they are earthly stories that present kingdom truths. They teach us about the kingdom of God, the character of God, and the nature of man. And so that's why we're uh, in this season focusing on parables together, so that ultimately we would grow in our knowledge and understanding of God's kingdom, and that these truths would transform us. That's our hope. They would transform us from the inside out. Uh, that's my prayer for you uh, in this season. Well, with that, uh, today we're going to be looking at the story of the unforgiving servant. Uh, and what we're going to see from this parable is Jesus highlighting a particular uh, essence, if you will, uh, of the kingdom of God, and that is forgiveness. Uh, forgiveness. And what we're going to find today is that all true citizens of God have this spirit of forgiveness about them. And that actually, uh, Jesus doesn't mince words here in this parable. That if you lack that spirit of forgiveness, if you don't have it, then you don't belong to the kingdom. That's what we're going to see Jesus says. And so uh, that's what we're going to be looking at today. We're looking at the issue of forgiveness. What do we do when a person sins against us? To what extent are, uh, should we offer forgiveness? Uh, where do we get the, the power, uh, the strength, the motivation to forgive another person? And what does our lack of forgiveness say about what we most deeply believe about God? You know, we live in a deeply broken world. Uh, you only have to turn on the news for just a minute to see that. And as uh, broken people surrounded by uh, other broken people, uh, we will certainly have ample opportunities to both ask for forgiveness uh, and to receive forgiveness. And so how do we do this? And that's wh uh, where we turn to this parable. And let's, so let's start together. Uh, again, it's Matthew chapter 18, and we'll read from verse 21. This is what Matthew writes. He says, Then Peter came up and said to him, that's Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Uh, well, as I told you last week when we were looking at the, the Good Samaritan, uh, context matters. And the same is true for our passage today. And so how do we get here with this conversation between Jesus and Peter? Well, if you, you look at the whole of chapter 18, what we see is there's really a lot of talk about sin. 
in verses 6 through 9, uh, we see the temptation to sin and our need to resist sin. And then in verses 10 through 14, we see a different parable. It's the parable of the lost sheep. And we might actually uh, have the time to work through that parable this summer. Uh, But essentially, what we see in that parable is God's pursuit of those who are lost in their sin. It's really a a beautiful picture of God's love. Uh, But then we get to verses 15 through 20, which is in many ways is is the heart of the chapter. And what we see there is Jesus shifts to explain uh, what this pursuit of others in their sin uh, should, should look like within the relationships that we might have, you know, particularly within the church. Um, he says that there is actually a particular way to, to handle sin and conflict within the body of Christ, uh, well, uh, we know uh, Peter and the other disciples are, are listening to, to all of this, right? And, and Peter, being the one who usually speaks up, right? That's Peter's character. We see uh, on cue, he speaks up. And, and that's how we get uh, into this dialogue. And so again, Peter uh, asks or says to Jesus in verse 21, how, uh, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Uh, Peter is saying here, if a person continues to fall into sin, Jesus, um, or continues to sin against me, how many times do I allow that to happen? How many times Uh, should I confront him? And ultimately, how many times should I forgive him? And we see he asks, sort of answers his own question. He says, seven times? Should I do that seven times, Lord? And there is uh, a sense here in which uh, we actually see Peter sort of uh, patting his own back. You see, Jewish tradition uh, limited forgiveness to three times. It was sort of uh, like three strikes and you're out. Like, that's it. Three acts of forgiveness was the limit. And so when, when Peter says here uh, seven times, uh, we have to understand he was, he was saying this based on his cultural understanding. That for him to suggest forgiving seven times would be overly gracious. And so he was actually trying to be noble here, maybe trying to impress Jesus, uh, but he's in for a surprise. Listen to how Jesus responds to him in verse 22. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Uh, now, uh, Jesus is not being literal here, right? Like This is not an invitation to sort of like take out your calculator or to create like a uh, an Excel spreadsheet with all these bo- like boxes, 77 boxes that you're checking off. Okay, I need to forgive. I forgive once, twice, three times, right? He's not asking us here to create limits or, or boundaries around forgiveness, right? He's being figurative here. He's saying, in effect, there should be no limit, no limit to our forgiveness of others, There are no boundaries, in other words, to our forgiveness. And then Jesus, from there, 
illustrates and explains what he just said with a parable, starting in verse 23. He says this, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, uh, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And so uh, setting the scene here, we see that we have a, a king who has a kingdom. Makes sense. And apparently this king has some servants that are working for him who have uh, some financial responsibility for the kingdom. Perhaps they collect taxes. We really don't know. And the text really doesn't specifically say. But what we do find out is that one of his servants owes the king quite a bit of money. 10,000 talents to be exact. And we can't exactly say how much uh, money that actually is, like in today's terms. Uh, it's really an impossible amount to calculate, and that's on purpose. You see, uh, 10,000 was actually the largest number uh, in the Greek language that has a word. Uh, it's the word um, myrian or um, myriad. And so the point here uh, is, is to say that this servant owed the king the largest debt that you could possibly imagine. It's an impossible debt to pay back. That's the point. The story continues uh, with that. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. And so, again, we, we see that the servant can't pay back this debt, right? He couldn't actually pay back this debt in a thousand lifetimes. And so the king makes this decision to, to give his servant away and to give away his, his family. This man cannot pay the king back. And so uh, he's gonna, the king's going to give him to someone else. He's going to take what he can get for him and give him away. Let him serve somewhere else and with someone else. And in that day, uh, the king had every right to do that. This man was, this servant was uh, in debt with no ability uh, to pay back what he owed. And the only thing that he had apparently was himself, uh, his family, and a few possessions. But with that news that the king was sort of going to get rid of him or sell him off, we see the servant beg. It's verse 26. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And of course, when we, again, understand the amount of money that's owed, we know that this is really a, a foolish plea. Even a whole lifetime would, would not be enough, again, to pay this money back. But the servant is, is desperate. He's desperate. He's run out of options. Basically, what he is doing here is asking for mercy. And that's exactly what he gets. Look at the king's heart here. Verse 27. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. The word pity here is really powerful. Uh, it means mercy. It means uh, to be moved in the, the depths of your being in compassion for another person. 
Uh, it's actually the same word that described uh, the good Samaritan last week when the Samaritan was walking down the road and saw the man who was beaten uh, and, and bruised. It, it's deep compassion. And Jesus says, the king felt that towards the servant. And so he no longer, what that means, he no longer held this debt against him because of that compassion. It's 100% gone. The debt is gone. He, does, uh, he doesn't put him on a payment plan. He doesn't even say, like, okay, uh, do your best to pay me back as much as you can when you can. No, he just forgives it. He no longer holds it against him. The servant is completely forgiven. He is free. And so think about being this man. Think about being this servant. In a moment's time, he went from sure and certain imprisonment, from enslavement, actually, perhaps to not even being able to see his family ever again, to absolute freedom and a new life because of the mercy and the deep compassion of the king. Now, uh, if Jesus was only answering the question, uh, how to forgive, uh, he could have just easily stopped there and pointed to this king and said, uh, just be like that, right? Do like that. But that's not all that he's answering here, right? He's also answering a, a far more important question with this parable. Not just how to forgive, but why we should forgive like this. And so the parable continues, verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. So things get a little interesting here. Uh, a denarii uh, was a day's wage for a common laborer. And so we're talking about roughly uh, three months salary here, which yes, is still a significant amount of money, but it's nothing uh, compared to what the first servant was forgiven of. And so, again, this, it's important for us to understand, this is absolutely a payable loan that is owed. And at this point, I think we're meant to ask uh, this question, will this forgiven man forgive? Well, let's find out. Let's continue. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. So we see here he, he clearly doesn't forgive. The first servant is unwilling to forgive one of his fellow servants but not only that, he actually chokes him and then puts this servant in prison, right? Clearly, this is not the proper response from a man who has uh, just been shown an enormous amount of grace. And notice how this, uh, second servant, uh, this second servant asks for mercy in the exact same way that the first servant asks for mercy in verse 26, right? He does the exact same thing. Have patience with me, right? And I'm going to pay you back, right? And again, the irony here is that 
uh, this servant could actually pay back this debt. Whereas the first servant could never pay back the king. But rather than, than giving him, rather than the first servant giving him the same mercy and compassion that he received, he refuses. He refuses. Well, back to the story, verse 31. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? So again, there's, there's no mercy given. And at that, the, the other servants that were around, they go and actually get the king. And what the king says here is, is really important for us to understand. Because what it leaves us with, his words, they leave us with this sort of expectation that as a forgiven man, you should be forgiving. In other words, the king expected his forgiveness to result in a forgiving spirit in his servant. Well, we, we, we've gotten to verse 34. Let's continue to move through this passage. What happens next? Well, it says this, in anger, in anger, that's not sinful anger here. All right, note that. This is just and righteous wrath. That's the word that's used here. And in anger, his master, it's the king, delivered him to the jailers until he should pay off all his debt. Simply put, uh, you're going to be in a lot of trouble with God if you don't forgive. That's the point here. You're going to be in jail, the king says, until you pay back what you owe. And remember, he can't do that. It's not possible. And so this is an extremely harsh picture here. It's, it's jail for the rest of your life with no way out, no possibilities. And then Jesus, at that point, stops the story, stops the parable, and then closes with these final, deep, and serious words. Verse 35, he says, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Jesus says, if you don't forgive, you are not forgiven. You'll be separated from God forever. So through this parable, uh, I think Jesus is helping us recognize why forgiveness is such a crucial mark of God's kingdom and God's people. It's extremely important. But let's also understand that this parable, uh, I think, raises a lot of questions, all sorts of questions. And let's, so let's deal with some of those. First, uh, let's understand the debt that's in view with the first servant. Now, I'm sure many of you um, picked up on this already, but the debt of the first servant is actually a picture of the massive debt that we owe God because of our sin. The sin that flows from our sinful nature. And again, remember that this entire chapter has really centered around sin, and so this makes sense. 
And I know that, you know, oftentimes this topic isn't really that comfortable, right? Talking about sin isn't really comfortable. Um, But it's really critical that we talk about sin as followers of Jesus, particularly when God puts the topic of sin right in front of us in the scriptures. And that's exactly what we have right here. And so let's not downplay or avoid the reality of sin. Like we need to understand our sin and why. Why? Uh, well, because I strongly believe, I strongly believe that if you and I have a, a watered-down, a shallow view of sin, it only ever leads to a watered-down, shallow view of God and the forgiveness that he offers us through Jesus Christ. You know, even Jesus himself said this in Luke chapter 7, that those who are forgiven little, love little. Meaning, those who think that they are forgiven little, love little in return. See, uh, belief in a, in a little God who forgives in, in little ways will always result in people with little forgiveness and who have little awe of him. And so Jesus is using this parable to turn all of that upside down and on its head. He's helping us uh, to see that developing a genuine forgiving spirit is firstly dependent on a rich, deep, biblical understanding of the nature of sin. And that might sound odd, but it's very, very true that a robust belief in the reality of sin will go on to actually result in in more joy for you, particularly if you carry out the inevitable conclusion of it in light of the gospel. And so so briefly walk through this with me. We know, we know that our sin is 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 a mega problem. It's serious. And it's not first and foremost really an issue of of what we do. But again, it's about a deep-rooted, self-centered condition that we are born with. And that nature, that sinful nature, uh, manifests manifests itself in a multitude of ways. But, But the ultimate question of it all is, who is at the center of your life? Who's at the center of your life? You see, we were created to be in a relationship with God of deep, deep belonging. But the condition of sin within us has turned that upside down. So while we were created to to live for God, again, sin corrupts that, and therefore we want to live for ourselves. Similarly, we are created to love others. But again, sin corrupts and sin causes us to instead prioritize ourselves, right? This is true of every single one of us. And this condition, it affects every single part of our person, whether it be spiritually, uh, physically, uh, emotionally, or relationally, we are totally corrupted by sin. You know, God created us to go his way with him, but sin corrupts, and therefore we go our own way and after only what we want. That is who we are, unnaturally opposed 
to God, enemies of God, objects of his wrath with no help or hope in the world. And again, uh, this is not who we were created to be, but who we now are because of sin. It's, it's this reality, our nature, our sin, that puts us in massive debt before the Lord. And like the first servant, uh, this debt is uncountable. It's massive. We cannot pay it back. We cannot work our way out of it. It's, it's too big. It's too heavy. And therefore, again, similarly to the first servant, our hope and our only hope is the undeserved compassion of the king. We have to begin here. We have to start here by understanding the massive debt that we owe to our Lord because of our sin. And that leads us to our next point. Only when we grasp the degree of our sin, again, that it's not small, listen, do we grasp the degree of the forgiveness that is required to release us from this debt? Only when we see the uncountable debt that we owe to the God of the universe do we then see the heights of mercy that are required to forgive us? What we need, and the only actual solution, is a pure, undefiled, merciful forgiveness of the God whom we are indebted to. And so what's so staggering to me about this parable, and what I hope that you understand, what's so incredible about this parable is not the size of the debt, but, but that the king actually chose to forgive that debt. And that's the great news of Christianity. That's the gospel, that this is the exact kind of mercy that God offers us by faith in Jesus. And Colossians 2, 13 through 14 says this, And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. That's what happened on the cross Jesus came to earth, went to the cross to release us from the debt of sin so that you and I could be forgiven, set free in unparalleled mercy. God became man to pay our debt so that we could belong to him. And so understand this parable of the unforgiving servant. It's, it's really a picture of God's lavish, undeserved, compassionate forgiveness. And we receive this gift, again, this grace through repentance and faith by turning from ourselves and by turning to Jesus, our only hope. For in him and only him, our debt 
is canceled. What a gift of sheer mercy. Amen? Well, uh, what do you think happens in the human heart as that reality grips you? How do you think the, the reality of this forgiveness affects how we forgive others? And the answer to that question is really the, the bottom line of this parable. That's the point Jesus is making here. Don't miss this. It's, it's really simple. Forgiven people forgive people. I think that's worth writing down. Forgiven people forgive people. You know, the first servant who was forgiven by the king, he turns around himself and he doesn't forgive. And so the king responds by, by putting him in jail. And then Jesus says to you and I, anyone who would listen, he says again in verse 35, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So, so again, what is Jesus saying here? That we need to forgive to be saved? Right? That we earn forgiveness by being a forgiving person? That if we are saved by grace at one point in time, and then we go on and, and later fail, that God just takes that grace away? Right? No, of course not. But, but what Jesus is saying, what he's saying here, is that there is an unbreakable connection. There's an unbreakable connection to God's forgiveness of us and our forgiveness of others. And that genuine forgiveness of others is always evidence of genuine saving faith. If God has saved you, if he has given you a new heart, if he has given you a new nature, part of how that nature expresses itself is through a forgiving spirit. Does that, now, now, understand, does that happen overnight? Does that happen all at once, right? Does this all just happen the moment you're saved? No. But if we are made right with God, if you are justified before him, a spirit of forgiveness will inevitably and increasingly make itself clear in your life. Are you following, are you following me today? Right? This is so simple, uh, but I think so profound. When we don't forgive, it is evidence that you don't belong to the God who has forgiven us. If you do not forgive, you are not forgiven. And please understand this as well, right? All of this, this, this is not minimize the seriousness of sin that sometimes does come against you and I. And I want to say this, your, your pain is real and it's significant. People hurt sometimes. People hurt you, will hurt you sometimes. And, and again, forgiveness doesn't dismiss that or say that it's not painful, but Forgiveness does put everything in perspective because ultimately forgiving others is, is trusting in the Lord rather than trying to take matters into our own hands. Uh, forgiveness, it's really hard, right? It's not easy 
to forgive. Uh, it's, I think it's easier actually to forgive like a one-time offense, but you know, you might have experienced in your life that person, or maybe it's a coworker, a family member who's just you know, on you all the time or harsh with you a lot or maybe lies constantly. And it's just really difficult to forgive that person over and over and over again. But that's why I think it's so important for me to say uh, that forgiveness is both an event and a process. Understand that. I think it's really helpful. Forgiveness is both an event uh, and a process. It's an, an event in that it requires that we, uh, something like this at least, that we, we sit down with that person who's, uh, who's brought an offense, right? We, we look at them in the eye and we actually genuinely say, I forgive you, I forgive you, right? But if you've ever forgiven someone in your life, right, you know that forgiveness doesn't typically end there, right? That it's actually a process, because every time we remember that person who, who wounded us or remember that thing that they did against us, right, we're going to have to continue to forgive them in our hearts. And so we, again, may forgive someone once. That's the event. But we may also have to continue to forgive them in our hearts up to 77 times, right? And, I, and again, I think this is, this is helpful for us because... There are times, I think, when, when we forgive, but we don't really forget, right? That's pretty common. We forgive, but we don't really forgive, uh, forget. And, and, and the pain of the wound or the scar or that, that trust, it remains with us. And when that happens, I think there's a tendency for us at times to, to question ourselves. Like, did I actually forgive that person? Like, if I haven't forgotten, did I actually forgive but, but if we see forgiveness this way, you, you might have actually genuinely forgiven. You may have actually canceled their debt while at the same time still need to work out how you feel about that person. So again, forgiveness is both an event and sometimes, I think often, it's a process. We need to forgive, in other words, and keep forgiving. But how? How do we do that, uh, especially when we don't want to, right? How do we forgive? How do we get the power and the motivation to forgive the way that Jesus calls us to here? Well, by again, remembering uh, the debt that we owe to God, that this debt, this massive debt that we owe to God is always greater than any debt that anyone will ever owe us. Simple way to put that or say that, no one will ever sin against you more than you have sinned against God. Never. No one will ever sin against us more than we have sinned against God. Never. And that's why C.S. Lewis uh, once wrote this. He said this. He says, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Your and my understanding of God's forgiveness towards us will determine our willingness and the limit to which we will be willing to forgive others. So let me ask you today, have you confronted the reality of your massive debt before God? 
Uh, have you received his free, merciful, uh, compassionate forgiveness in Jesus? Uh, who do you need to forgive today? Uh, who do you need to ask for forgiveness from? Right? Let's be a church that deeply understands God's compassionate gift of forgiveness. And then out of the overflow of that understanding, let's be eager and willing to forgive. Because forgiven people forgive people. Let me pray for you.